remember what Professor Carl Quigley said. He said, apart from all the money that they make at the top, great business for bankers and those in the military-industrial complex, apart from that, the major outcome of war on all sides is the change of culture because governments can take over so many private occupations and areas that were in private hands prior to wars. That's how the Ministry of Agriculture, in fact, in all the countries rose to prominence. In fact, was created was for wartime purposes. And step by step, they helped to put the farmers under the rules and regulations. All by design, mind you, because food is a weapon. If you don't have it, you'll be begging to your masters. Be back with more after the following break. another 
saying that their systems were so identical, they're both socialist by design. Now, socialist to these guys really involves eugenics and all the rest of it, the same as the Fabian socialists. That's what the working class failed to recognize. But you also have the regimes that, that were put in place in the communist system, a place where I don't think there's a single monument put up to any of the millions who were killed over the last 70 years or so under its terrible onslaught and persecution of the peoples. And for some reason, all the liberal ones, all the liberal media, tend to ignore that has just been part of the big experiment, those countless millions of lives that were slaughtered and starved to death like the Ukraine, or simply shot. But when it comes to other types of regimes, the same press will be pounding them. So Russia was a very popular movement for those that claimed to be what was called liberal, something that's not really, in essence, what, as it sounds. And the liberal itself is a nice word, word, you see. But the actual movement is a different agenda. In fact, I remember when Khrushchev was over in the 60s, I think 50s or 60s, and he mentioned, he says that uh, he was asked a question by a reporter about the American Communist Party. He said, well, we don't call them communists for America. He says, we, here we call it uh, liberal and Democrats. Now, who would have thought that the, the far, what seemed to be left wing in America was paid for from the very beginning by the big banking boys with their foundations, and they were funding the far left wing. Why? Because they wanted to bring in a world of collectivism. It's much easier for the banking system. It's much easier for the elite families to have a centralized system to work through with masses of bureaucracies to deal with all the areas where they can steal money from the public. It's called various taxations and fees and all the rest of it. And they see the world and the people in the world as their stock, like, like farmers would do. We are the stock. And they also take into account ecology, living in harmony with nature. And in all other nature books, they talk about too many animals of one kind or another and how they, they die off because of disease, lack of food or something else. Then other animals move in their place. And they, they use all of these observations to apply to humans too. So they've come to the conclusion there's way too many humans now. They don't need them. They're overstocked. Uh, the industrial age is over and gone with. We're post-industrial. We're, we're really post-technological in the West. Uh, China has been given all of that, that work to do. So we are simply a service economy where we pass things around that are made elsewhere until someone finally buys it. That can't last for long, and it was never intended to. But, as I say, the world is planned, and... When it comes to regimes, they tend to emulate other regimes of the past. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a dissident in the Soviet system, and he was locked up in Siberia for many years. It became an embarrassment to the Soviets, so much so they sent him out into the West, thinking he would get a brief burst of fame and then he'd fade away. But he didn't 
kept going. And his books were very popular. And that they're well worth reading because what you saw in the Soviet system is now being applied to the Western world. Remember Gorbachev's last, last speech to the Politburo when he was president of the Soviet Union? And you can find it on the web. Where he said, he says, you'll shortly hear that communism is dead and over. He says, don't believe it. He says, we're moving on to the next phase. This ties in perfectly, perfectly with the Rees Commission done in the 1950s in the U.S., where Senator Dodd and others talked to the heads of the big foundations who were funding all what seemed to be the communist movements in America. And the one from Ford admitted to him. The CEO of Ford said, yes, our job is to set up the system in the world in such a way that, that the U.S. will blend seamlessly, blend seamlessly with the Soviet Union. So when you tie all that together, you knew it was part, you know it was part of the plan. Then you tie it in with the Club of Rome, where they said that the all of the systems and the one that they picked as being the easiest one for them to control was the collectivist, which means communist system. It's, it's rather tragic, but in the Soviet Union, you got locked up if you had a difference of opinion or a personal opinion that was outside of the norm of mainstream, the authorized, politically correct opinions. The Soviet Union was a testbed for political correctness. In fact, the term is a direct translation from the term they used. They used psychiatry in the Soviet Union to label you with a, a, an illness if you were, if you had political ideas that were not along the lines of the party. If you wouldn't believe one thing one day and jump to the next, believe the next when you were, when it was, you were told to do so, you were classified as mentally ill because you had inflexibility of opinion. You see, we are all under that system, just robots that can be reprogrammed and reprogrammed and reprogrammed over and over again, just like George Orwell had in 1984. So we think we're all safe in the West for some strange reason. At least some people think they're safe in the West. This is from the Times Online from May the 27th, 2007. Now, I'll give you the article and then think about expanding it because that's what it's really all about, to get something on the books by law. And every law is then expanded into the outer limits. It says, VIP stalker squad set up by government by Joanna Bale for the Times. And she says, the government has secretly set up a VIP, a very important person, stalker squad to identify and detain terrorists and other individuals, and other individuals, right, who pose a threat to prominent people. The unit staffed by police and psychiatrists will have the power to detain suspects indefinitely using mental health laws. The Fixated Threat Assessment Center, that's what it's called, Fixated Threat Assessment Center, was quietly established last October and is set to reignite controversy over the detention of suspects without trial. Until now, it's been up to the mental health professionals to determine
determine if someone should be forcibly detained, but the new unit uses the police to identify suspects. So the police identify the suspects, right? Increasing fears that distinctions are being blurred between criminal investigations and doctors' clinical decisions. Well, it's really about politics. That's what it's really about. But to continue here, this is the Metropolitan Police. Now, remember everything that happens in England is, is emulated across the world within about a week or two. So this is already up and running everywhere else, whether you know it or not. The Metropolitan Police confirmed that the unit has been established only after its existence was revealed in a Sunday newspaper. It said the Fixated Threat Assessment Centre is a joint initiative between the Police, Home Office and Department of Health. We'll be back with more after this break.
Tis Liberty said the secret unit represented a new threat to civil liberties. Its policy director, Gareth Crossman, said there's a grave danger of this being used to deal with people where there is insufficient evidence for a criminal prosecution. Well, of, of course, that's, a, that's the case. Remember, too, that Britain and Ireland have already passed laws that if uh, a jury finds you not guilty and the big boys aren't happy with it, they'll claim that the jury was intimidated and you'll be brought back for trial on the same charge again and again and again until the jury gets it right. But this, this article here ties in with other ones because this system here apparently says here it was set up following a National Health Service research program based at Chase Farm Hospital in Enfield, North London. Researchers examined thousands of cases of prominent, prominent people being stalked. It liaised, so it's, so it's liaising already, you see, with the FBI, the U.S. Secret Service, the Capitol Hill Police, which protects congressmen and senators, and the Swedish and Norwegian Secret Services. So it's already worldwide. Sweden granted access to files on the murder of the foreign minister, Anna Lind, who died after being stabbed by a stalker in a Stockholm store in 2003. This research led to FTAC being set up with a £500,000 a year, I say a million dollars a year budget from Home Office and Department of Health. So there you go. You know where it's all going to go, though? Inflexibility of opinion. That's going to get you locked up with a couple of psychiatrists or a psychiatrist and psychologist. But really, and it started off by the police who simply will point the finger at you. That's all it takes. No trial, in the slammer, and full of drugs before you know it. Simple as that. Astonishing, really, isn't it? But it does make you wonder. This is from Natural News. And it says here, vaccines as biological weapons. Live avian flu virus packed in Baxter vaccine materials sent to 18 countries. Now, I mentioned some of this before. And it says... There's a popular medical thriller novel in which a global pandemic is intentionally set off by an evil plot designed to reduce the human population. In the book, a nefarious drug company inserts live avian flu viruses into vaccine materials that are distributed to countries around the world to be injected into patients as flu shots. This is from a novel. This is how they start the story. Those patients then become carriers, like, you know, you become an incubator, for these highly virulent, virulent strains of avian flu, which go on to infect the world population and cause widespread death. There's only one problem with the story. It's not fiction. Or at least the part about the live avian flu viruses being inserted into vaccine materials isn't fiction. It's happening right now. And I read about that last week. It says, Deerfield, Illinois-based pharmaceutical company, that's where their main one is based, but they have them in Canada too and across Europe. Baxter International Corporate just, just been caught shipping live avian flu viruses mixed with the vaccine material to medical distributors in 18 countries. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the Matrix, discussing the Baxter Laboratories scandal, where they just accidentally, mind you, they shipped off live avian flu viruses mixed with the common flu viruses to a whole bunch of countries, 18 countries that they're admitting to across the world. And it says here, the mistake, if you can call it that, see below, was discovered by the National Microbiology Laboratory in Canada. The World, World Health Organization was alerted and panic spread throughout the vaccine community as health experts, <laughs> experts asked the obvious question, how could this have happened? This is Baxter International in Austria unintentionally contaminated samples with the bird flu virus, this live virus, that were used in laboratories in three neighboring countries, raising concern about the potential spread of the deadly disease. Austria, Germany, Slovenia, and the Czech Republic, these are the countries in which labs were hit with dangerous viruses, not by bioterrorist commandos, but by Baxter. In other words, one of the major global pharmaceutical players seems to have lost control over a virus which is considered by many virologists to be one of the components leading some day to a new pandemic. I think it would turn out, too, that some subcontractor in Hungary or somewhere injected, I think they used weasels or ferrets with the, the drugs, and they all died because of this live avian flu virus they contained within it. Luckily, they tried it out and tested it. Most things are taken on faith in this whole industry. This is put another way. Baxter is acting a whole lot like a biological terrorist organization these days, sending deadly viral samples around the world. If you mail an envelope full of anthrax to your senator, you get arrested as a terrorist. So why is Baxter, which mailed samples of a far more deadly viral strain to labs around the world, getting away with saying essentially, oh, oops, oops. Yeah. But there's a bigger question in all this. How could this company have accidentally mixed live avian flu viruses both HF5N1 and H3N2, which is the human form, the regular flu, in one vaccine. Do you realize that the whole potential, supposedly in theory, about this impending outbreak we're going to have, that they've told us this for 18 years, so it's only a matter of time. The whole theory is based on the deadly form being in the body of a person with the regular form there at the same time, and because viruses are famous for swapping genes with its host, they'll end up with a hybrid type of flu, and that would be the killer flu. So in other words, you become an incubator as these two types mix together and become one. And here's, here's Baxter speeding up the process, giving it a helping hand to, to start off. Isn't that something? Baxter, remember was part of the umbrella group for IG Farben in World War II. And it's still on the go, doing, doing pretty well. And then you have it on, too, you also have it on ctv.ca. This is uh, Baxter admits flu product contained live 
bird flu virus. That was Friday, February 27th. The Canadian press. The company that released contaminated flu virus material from a plant in Austria confirmed Friday that the experimental product contained live H5N1 avian flu viruses. And an official of the World Health Organization's European operation said the body is closely monitoring <laughs> the investigation into the events that took place at Baxter International's research facility in Orthdono, Austria. At this juncture, mind you, that see this, we are confident in saying that public health and occupational risk is minimal at present, Medical Officer Roberta Andragetti said from Copenhagen, Denmark. She's a PR spokesman. They always go through PR spokesman, which is propaganda. That's all it is. So there you are. They're, they're determined to get this killer flu going by one means or another. Although it makes you wonder, too, that it is getting us ready for the idea of its inevitability. Maybe that's what it is as well. And then, from Britain, the UK Libertarian Party. It says here, Tuesday, 3rd of March, 2009. Summer of rage could be lethal. So on the 20th of February, 2008, a caucus meeting was held at the German Parliament in Munich, to discuss the Lisbon Treaty. At this meeting, a previously unmentioned paragraph was brought to light by Professor Schachneider, Humanities Faculty, University of Nuremberg. Professor Schachneider explained that the undisclosed paragraph means on ratification of the Lisbon Treaty, the death penalty will be introduced to Europe. He read the small print on these massive omnibus bills. The death penalty will be applicable for these crimes, for rioting, civil upheaval, and during war. It's in paragraphs, it's, in, uh, it's closed in here. When are we not at war, and who will define riot and upheaval? Professor Schachschneider made the point that this clause is particularly outrageous, as it's been cleverly hidden in a footnote off a footnote, and would not have been detected by anyone other than an exceptional expert reader which meant it must have taken an exceptional expert reader to write it in in the first place. So I'll put that link up there for you to look at as well. It's amazing the things that are going on, and, and the public have no idea, from, from setting up mental health hit squads uh, to determine that if you, you're a problem or not, and they can lock you up for life with the police. Spearheading. We'll, we'll soon have them swatting our, our homes because you've said something in public. You have odd ideas about things, you see. And then, if that's not bad enough, and I, I've done many documents, uh, document, uh, well, I've read many documents about the bisphenol A and the feminization of the male, etc., and how it's been going on for at least 50 years, and the very fact that from the late 1800s they understood that bisphenol A was an artificial estrogen, a very potent one at that what it's done to the male population. This here is, this article here is from, uh, it's from Health Canada. This is CBC News. Health Canada finds bisphenol A in soft drinks Thursday, March the 5th, 2009. So they're still doing it after the CBC itself did a whole documentary called The Disappearing Male. And the link is on my website under the archive section. Worth seeing that one for sure. 
So Health Canada study of canned pop has found the vast majority of the drinks contained the chemical bisphenol A, a substance that imitates the female hormone estrogen and is banned in baby bottles. But that was another thing too, when the baby food manufacturers even as well admitted they cleaned out the tin cans and, and the jars that they used baby food in with, with the same stuff containing bisphenol A. Just making sure that you get it right. Out of 72 drinks tested, 69 were found to contain BPA at levels below what Health Canada says is the upper safe limit. The upper safe limit. Even now, it's such a potent estrogen that you need to very trace uh, amounts to alter your biochemistry and your physique. However, studies in peer-reviewed science journals have indicated that even at very low doses, BPA can increase breast and ovarian cancer cell growth and the growth of some prostate cancer cells in animals. Well, it's in males too. Uh, the, the prostate cancer uh, problem in the Western world is, is just skyrocketing. Then we get the nice part. There's no health risk to Canadians. Health Canada spokesman, spokesman it says, Stephanie Shrank, or Shank told CBC News. The average adult weighing approximately 60 kilograms would have to consume over 900 cans per day to reach the department safety threshold, he said. We can trust the government. The Can Pop Health Canada scientist tested all came from stores in Ottawa in April 2007 and include diet, non-diet, fruit-flavored, and energy drinks. These drinks represent at least 84% of the market share of soft drinks sold in the country. The federal department study was published in January in the Journal of Agricultural and Food Chemistry and was posted on Health Canada's website. When asked why the study was not widely publicized, Shank said it wasn't our intent to hide it. Of course it was, because believe you me, when, when they want you to know, when Health Canada wants you to know something, it's shoved from the rooftops. Like, get the flu shot, get the flu shot, you'll die. The Federal Department study was published in January, as I say, blah, blah, blah. The study did not find detectable levels of BP in two types of tonic water, likely the result of a bittering agent used in tonic drinks that could interfere with the BPA extraction. So in other words, it didn't mean it wasn't there. It simply was neutralized by the addition of bittering agents, whatever they happen to be. It has also found no traceable levels in one energy drink, but did not suggest why that might be. Bisphenol A is a chemical compound found in some hard, clear, lightweight plastics and resins. It's used in the production of various types of food and drink containers, compact discs, electronics, and automobile parts. And there's a liner in some metal cans, including pop cans, to make sure you get an extra dose. You, know, you never used to get it in cans. They didn't need it. So why would they put that in there? You've got it. It's deliberate. Of course it is. Well, Health Canada's position is that there is no health risk in drinking canned pop because the levels of BPA are so far a little bit below the safe, hold, uh, safe threshold. Critics say BPA, like estrogen, is active in very small amounts. You don't need much. It's only cause significant biological effects at incredibly low levels. Rick Smith, Executive Director of Environmental Defense, told CBC News, and this is not the only source of this chemical in our daily lives. If it was only source, Health Canada might have a leg to stand on. The beverage industry, on the other hand, questions whether BPA 
has the impact some studies say it has. It's asserted this is an estrogen mimicker. Justin Sherwood, president of Refreshments Canada, told CBC News, we as an industry take our cue from Health Canada because they all work hand in hand, right? It's big bucks, big bucks. That's why they all work hand in hand. And of course, they're not going to come out and admit the same problem because, as I say, when the dollar talks, morality walks, right? It's, it's not by accident either. It's in, there's many other things you could use. And someone asked me a few days ago there about faith in humanity. And to be honest with you, I don't have a lot of faith in general humanity. I think we've been so debased over the years by intention, and I've gone through the whole era with you and given you various links to, to see um, videos, CBC shows and, and BBC shows on those who gave us the 20th century, who gave us the culture industry, the ones who basically ran us as consumers in such a way that we became the products in a sense. And they knew where they were going with it. And I've talked in the past about the culture, industry, etc., and how it's debased morality until there's nothing left to debase. But it always takes me back to Julian Huxley and others who talked about the need to take humanity off its special throne and start lowering the expectation of having uh, a superior quality of life than humans. In other words, were to get debased down to animal status, told we're not so special after all, and then the scientists, the scientists could take over as the, the new type of elite to run our lives and do with us as they wish, but especially reduce the population dramatically. That's always, always been their agenda, and they've written prolifically about it and held pretty well nothing back. But first, you, you must get people to accept that, that life is not so valuable after all, human life. And we've come to accept that. And when you reach this phase, which Huxley also talked about, Julian Huxley, he said there would be a, a complete breakdown as the old morals that kept society together fall apart. And you'll see all kinds of things happening, but that's just an unfortunate phase we have to go through, he said. You know, <clears throat> we're hit by the shysters from every angle, directly from banks, mortgage companies, and through the government. To me, they're, they're all the same, to be honest with you. There's one big system. And th th there's nothing they won't stoop to to get money from you. Nothing they won't stoop to. You think about even death duties. Why on earth should the government have the right to take half or more of, of your money that you could give to relatives or friends or whoever you wanted to? when you die. And we accept all this as being normal. You know, it was the CFR that introduced that bill. They, they were the ones who introduced the income tax bills as well. And property tax bills. And they wrote about it in their own books. Very proud of it. But here's what we have stuck to today. It's from the New York Times business section. It says, you're dead. That won't stop the debt collector. March 3rd, 2009. 
says the banks need another bailout and countless homeowners cannot handle their mortgage payments, but one group is paying its bills, the dead. Dozens of specially trained agents, low life in other words, and this is a sad thing about humanity, there's plenty in society that will take these jobs on. Dozens of specially trained agents working on the third floor of DCM services here, calling up the dear departed next of kin, and kindly asking if they want to settle the balance on a credit card or bank loan or perhaps make that final utility bill or cell phone payment. The people on the other end of the line often have no legal obligation to assume the debt of a spouse, sibling or parent, but they take responsibility for it anyway. These predators prey on us all, right to to the grave. I'm out of work now, to be honest with you, and money is very tight for us, one man declared on a recent phone call after he was appraised or apprised of his late mother-in-law's $280 credit card bill. He promises to pay $15 a month to pay it off. So people with no shame, you see at the top, these creatures that are from every ethnic group you can imagine take these jobs. Because they're in every ethnic group, this low-life psychopathic type. And they have no conscience whatsoever. And they do it for money, to get paid for money. They do anything for money. <clears throat> it says, dead people are the newest frontier in debt collecting and one of the healthiest parts of the industry. Those who've done the living say that people are so scared and so broke it is difficult to get them to cough up even token payments. Amazing, eh? I'll continue with this after this break to show you how far down into the slime we've gone. I am Alan Watts, and we're cutting to the Matrix, and I, I thought I had no callers on the line, but the screen just came up just now with callers, and we've got Steve from Indiana. Are you there, Steve? Alan, how are you? Not so bad. Yeah, uh, a simple question. One thing that I've been trying to figure out for a long time is the mindset that I've seen through all different age groups. I'm 45 myself, and most people... Uh, they parrot the uh, saying of do not talk about religion or politics. Do you know where that originally came from that was put into the people? Uh, probably from those in religion and those in politics. <laughs> but how far back do you think that actually, you know... Well... It's not that old, actually, because people talked religion and politics right up uh, into the... In Europe, definitely into the World War One era. In the U.S., it carried on much later, right up until the, the, the 50s. It was revived to an extent um, in the Reagan era because they funded money into the beginning evangelical movement at the time from the government. Um, okay. but, but, yeah, most of the time they've tried to separate. It's the same thing, too, with the, they're always quoting Jefferson and talking about uh, separation of church and state. But he was actually writing that to a private Baptist church that asked him the question. It wasn't in the American Constitution or anything. Yeah, I was just wondering where that originated from because, like I said, I've seen that through all different age groups, and yeah. it's and everybody goes along with that, but nobody knows where it came from. 
I know they do teach that in school now as being politically incorrect because they get groupthink in school to make, good, make sure they're good little world citizens, but they all talk and have the same opinions on, on everything. Therefore, they're not allowed to talk on anything that would cause dissent. So they're actually getting taught that. In, they have been for quite some time in, in countries like Canada, for instance. Okay. Uh, one more quick question. Um, yeah, I'm one of those amateur radio operators, yes. and we, we use uh, VHF repeaters, so we have extended range. And the pattern that's been happening for like two years is when me uh, when I talk to other people uh, about topics that you look, you talk about, for example, people just dead key over us so we can't talk, and they, they won't say a word. I thought you'd find it interesting. Yes, I've listened to a lot of ham. I pick it up yes. here. I've got a receiver. And uh, you're right, they'll talk about their rigs and everything else they're using, all equipment, but they won't go into anything that matters. You're absolutely yes. right. Yes, yeah. and that's exactly the problem I'm having here in northwest Indiana. It's just fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, the thing is, too, they're scared of losing their license for talking well, politics. Yeah. Well, the FCC will state that unless I'm talking to an international station, which would be outside the country, uh, it is legal to talk about politics and religion. Yes. So since I'm on VHF, which is only local, mm-hmm. using the repeater, say a 50 or 100 mile range, it, uh, it's just one repeater after another, and they just key up over so we can't talk to each other. It's just amazing. Yes, but you're right. You're absolutely right. I, I thought it would be an interesting field with ham, having access to the world and talking to people, but all they'll talk about is their equipment or yes. sports or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Every once in a while, I'll come across somebody that's like halfway woke up or... Or, or like you said, the only time that they will do something is when they're finally out on the street with no food, no job, and nowhere to go. And then they finally That's say, what happened? That's correct. <laughs> okay, I'll let you go for now, Alex. Or, uh, Alex thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks for a call. Now we've got a St. Savant, a St. Savant here, Valley of the Damned on the line. Are you there? How are you tonight? I'm hanging in here. That's good, Alan. It's a little chilly out there tonight, isn't it, again? It's not too bad. Not too, not bad. too bad where you are? Not tonight, no, the, the, the five feet of snow is kind of cleared and shoveled and it, it warmed up a bit today. Yeah, yeah. Listen, Alan, uh, I just wanted to thank you personally, uh, call up and thank you. Uh, I bought your books, the Cutting Through series, about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed them. They are excellent, and I suggest uh, anybody who wants to uh, get into this uh, research a little further, a little deeper, has to have your books. Um, I also recently bought your your newest book, uh, mm-hmm. Waiting for a Miracle, yep. and the CDs to accompany that. And I thought that was a really really interesting way to do things. Uh, it certainly helps when you can read along as yes. you're listening to the audio. Uh, everything just seems to stick a little longer in your mind. It, it does. It does. Uh, very, very interesting uh, way to do things, and I also uh, appreciate the way you edited um, uh, the words in in, uh, in that book. It's, uh, it's a lot it's, of work. It's a lot of work uh, to do that. Yeah. Oh, it really is. Uh, you must have been tied up for a year or more. It takes a long that, time. I'm definitely. sure. Yeah, I'm sure. But great work, Alan. Really good. Uh, I found with your uh, the cutting through series, I. I started reading, uh, I read it the first time and was just enthralled by it. Uh, I was totally amazed. And uh, I waited about three months, read it again, another three months. I've I've read the series four times now, and and the last couple times it's interesting because nuggets are still, you know, you turn the page and they're dropping into your lap. 
that's right. little nuggets that, that that's right. you know, you've been thinking, thinking about, and and all of a sudden it's clear now. So, yep. um, very very interesting uh, style of writing, Alan. I really do appreciate it, and you've helped me so much. I'll tell you, yep. uh, in, in my own research, and um, I do have some research skills. I'm an ex broadcaster, and uh, I have done research on occasion, and I when I. But uh, I, think I, can the, I can hear the music coming in now, so we're going to have to have to, to go off the show now. But thanks for calling. Um, well, from Hamish, myself, and Ontario, Canada, where it's not quite a thaw yet, but it's it's getting. I'll get there this month. It's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.